So this meditation on the elements I was just sharing with the group is uh, it brings us brings home the concept of anatta or emptiness. And just by the simple fact, you know, that we are directly experiencing how this body is built of the elements and in constant exchange with the planet. It's not like a thing, a monolithic thing, which is separate, but it's like a, a river within a, a big ocean. And there's a constant exchange happening. And to speak about that is kind of so limited that we can only really start to get an intuitive feeling for it by doing it in this kind of meditation, for example. And, you know, as you might have heard, you know, in the night of his enlightenment, the Buddha, you know, was asking the earth for witness. There's this earth-touching mudra, you know, where the hand hangs just down and touches the earth like that. The Buddha asking the earth for witness, you know, that he has been doing his his job, you know. He has been doing the practice and now, you know, he had this breakthrough. And even then, you know, in that very night, you know, at the end of his so-called struggle, you know, even then he remembered the earth, that how important that is, you know, to have a relationship to that which is supporting us to to have the capacity to practice, to have a riding animal, to have a mounting animal for our consciousness so that it can, you know, be in this realm and make it have experiences. And through those experiences, start to learn, start to uh, put down certain assumptions and opening up and widening and deepening the capacity for relationship. And I think, you know, that's the big question these days where we have, you know, been messing up our relationship with the planet in a big way, you know, which now threatens our own survival. Our own species is is in great danger to wipe itself off the planet. Because the planet is not in a crisis, it's the human species which is in a crisis and all the other species the we are taking down with us, you know, if we don't start to adjust to what's possible here. And I think, you know, this meditation is a very skillful tool and it's such an ancient practice, you know, over 2,500 years old. You know, at a time when that wasn't really an issue, there were maybe a million people on the planet or maybe a few more, but there was no sense of that the planet has limits. But now with 8 billion of us, it certainly, we have certainly hit the limit already. And, you know, we start to kind of intuitively feel, you know, sense that there is something really we have, we have, you know, come to a threshold in the evolution of our species. And we need to really take responsibility for the way we live. We can't anymore just do what we want. We are too many. So I think that's a very uh, poignant moment in time, you know, which like dawns on us, I think, at least, you know, since COVID, you know, we, we are still, you know, in the end phase of it, but 
we're never going to go back to how it was before, you know, to this kind of way of living like quite nonchalant, you know, not really thinking much about the planet itself. But now I think it, it has really hit hit the mainstream, you know, there's more and more people are really concerned about that we need to really change the ways we are conducting human life on the planet. And uh, I think, you know, that a Buddhist teaching has a lot to offer. First, you know, the five precepts, for example, are like a very, very good basis to stand on, you know, for for our practice, for peace of mind, but also for living in a more responsible way. And, uh, you know, really using our practice to inform our daily life and really living from that place of what we see, you know, in, in in the practice, the wisdom element, you know, which is the result of insight but then also bringing in the courage to lift that from that place, which is, is a sada or, or confidence or sometimes also translated as faith. Those two sides of the practice, the wisdom and panya and sada and faith or courage or confidence, those two together, you know, they enable those insights to spread out through our lives and to inform our lives more and more. And I think that's exactly what's needed right now, that the insights we are having in the meditation, that they also become who we are and how we live. And, you know, this um, meditation on the elements really shows us very much you know, anatta or not self or emptiness that which is the, the, you know, the central insight in Buddhism. And when the Buddha started to speak about anatta and not self or emptiness later on, it was called, you know, that was a a completely new teaching at the time when the Buddha was uh, wandering, you know, in Iron Age India over 2,500 years ago. The teaching nobody had taught that before. There were people teaching, you know, about impermanence. Even, you know, in uh, Europe, those teachings were known in, in Greece. Heraclitus was teaching about impermanence. And there might have been, you know, contact also between uh, Greek uh, scholars and uh, Buddhist scholars. Some of them, you know, went to Asia and also some of the Asian monks came to Greece. So there was most likely an exchange happening. And then the concept of not self or emptiness was a new teaching. And, uh, you know, through using the the instructions of the Buddha, the Noble Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths, the basic, you know, teaching, purpose of, of the Buddha, it always, you know, points towards the realization of emptiness. The fact, you know, that we are not separate beings and there's this beautiful sutta of the chariot, you know, whether the whether, whether body or a person is compared with the 
parts of a chariot, you know, which if a chariot is taking a part and it's laid out on the ground, all of these hundreds of parts. And then we are looking at these parts and where has the chariot gone? It hasn't gone anywhere. It never really existed. It was just an assemblage of parts. And the same with the body. The body is just like a temporary coming together of elements. And, you know, within seven years, the whole body is uh, re reconstellated, one says. All of the elements in the body are within seven years. So I'm 65, so I've had several bodies already this lifetime. So thinking in this way, it just kind of blows apart the mind. And that's exactly what we want. You know, we want the mind to be blown apart so it can contain more life, more truth. Especially you know, at this time where our way of looking at life and our way of conducting life has hit the limits of what is possible, what the planet can sustain. We just simply can't do this. And I, you know, feel very interested to do what I can to couch my practice in that way, you know, that I want to be able to live more in sync with that information, you know, which seems to come through to all of us more and more. Coming into our formation, that's what information is, you know, allowing that to inform us, to come into our form and change the way we use this form, the way we live, the way we eat, the way we heat, the way we drive, the way we, everything we do. You know, to allowing this update to inform us really deeply. And I think, you know, the planet is basically with its, you know, with its uh, actions like the floods and the fires and the sea level rising and everything what's happening, the, the COVID and all of the different things which are happening is the planet speaking to us, you know, the reality telling us things. And we need to make space, you know, in our bodies and minds to take that information in so that it changes us. Because I think that's what's happening, you know. If something is really seen and allowed to enter the system, like updating the biocomputers we have, you know, those very sophisticated bodies and minds which have been developed by evolution for 4 billion years, you know, they can deal with this if we allow that to happen. And that's not like something we can learn just by studying it in a book. That's maybe a good starting point, you know. But then we have to allow that to enter, inform us, to enter the form of us individually, you know. Because often, you know, if this new information comes to us there's a sense of resistance a sense of kind of turning away and we can we can uh, train the mind to stay with it you know not by forcing the mind to do anything in particular but by consciously noting when we go numb when we go you know kind of checking out spacing out, 
you know, not kind of wanting to thinking about dinner or thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow and all of those things. And it's not like saying, oh, this is a bad thing or forcing the mind, but just noticing it. Oh, you know, the mind has again just escaped into something more safe, you know, a smaller thing, a smaller world where there's like a sense of control, you know, because really familiarizing ourselves with with this uh, knowing about the limits of this planet, that's like kind of uncomfortable, you know. Because if we really open up to that, that means, you know, we need to change. So I find that uh, really powerful practice to whenever the mind, you know, goes numbs out or, or feels bored, to just notice that and, you know, bring some consciousness to that, some awareness to that, like a, a, a breath of fresh air, you know. It's not about judging or, you know, feeling bad about that, but just seeing it, aha, uh-huh, that's, that's what the mind does. And then, you know, really realizing, yeah, the planet is certainly not in a crisis, but it's us. Us, we are in a crisis. A crisis of humility. A crisis of arrogance. Of a civilization, you know, which believes that science and technology can uh, save us. You know, thinking that we don't need to change our ways. We can just like have more powerful technology and we're just going to fix this. But we won't be able to do this. This way doesn't really work. Otherwise, it would already have worked. Because as you might know from your own experience, you know, we have all of these machines, these computers, these phones. And has it kind of made your life less complicated no it's the opposite it's more complex you know texting and a hundred different ways of being caught up in in the internet so this is like uh you know this is just wishful thinking it doesn't work that way But what does work is, you know, if we work on our capacity for relationship to reality and to each other and to ourselves, that's what really helps us, you know, to um, come back to what is really important. The, The Coming back to the ground, coming back down, you know, to where we belong to this earth, you know, our bodies, which are made from the elements, that's where we are for now, you know, as long as we are human being, we belong here. And, you know, we can just feel the sense of gravity, 
which pulls us towards the planet, which is already showing us, you know, in very clear ways, we belong here. We need to, uh, you know, see that fact and then get interested in, but how, how do we belong here? And through this meditation, we'll see, oh, you know, we are actually our planet. We are part of it. We are not just living on top of it, like on a stage, but we are it. And, you know, and because of our intelligence and because of these very sophisticated bodies of ours, we can play a role in evolution if we really get interested. And it's not going to be, you know, some big father figure or a mother figure even, you know, telling us and rescuing us like another president, like or another whatever, prime minister or, or governor or whatever those guys are called, you know, they're not going to do it for us. We have to do it ourselves. And I think that's a really um, worthwhile contemplation. And, uh, you know, the word humus and the word humility come from the same root. Humus, you know, which is part of the soil and humility. Which means, you know, coming back to that which is really down, you know, down on the ground, not trying to escape to Mars or some other planet and making a life there. It's a ridiculous idea, really. It's a, it's a distraction from that what really is needed right now. And, you know, those evolutionary thresholds, they have happened many times before. And life has come somehow, you know, gotten through that. When, you know, the first apes were coming down from the trees and starting to walk upright. That also happened because of environmental changes. You know, when the rainforests in uh, East Africa, for example, I think they were like drying up because of some changes there and then savannah started to form and the apes were no longer able, able you know to swing from tree to tree they had to come down and walk a bit and then walking you know on four legs was dangerous because the grass was very high so in order to kind of see what's going on one had to stand up and start walking on two legs and here we are you know we come from those from those uh, beings and then, you know, when the first fish came onto land and started to develop some kind of motion, some kind of legs, that was even earlier in evolution. That also must have been very difficult to do, dangerous. It has happened. You know, and all that resilience, all that intelligence, we have that in our own bodies and minds. This is our inheritance. We can activate that. We can harvest that if we want to, if we get interested in, if we are really 
uh, being attention. So this much deeper intelligence, you know, it can come online if we make the connection. And in order to make a connection, we need to have a capacity for relationship. And it starts with relating to our own mind states, to our own bodies, to our own feelings, to our own experience, not shutting down, not distracting ourselves too much. And then, you know, from that we can then relate to others and can relate to the environment, can relate to the food, can relate to the air, can relate to everything, the trees and everything. And live, you know, in a world more as equals, you know, we are not the masters of this planet. This is a complete outmoded uh, assumption. We have to let go of that sense of mastery because it doesn't do us any good. You might also agree with that. Because if, if children, you know, play master, it's getting really dangerous. And it's not, you know, that we are bad or anything. It's just a bit arrogant, you know. And we need to come down to the ground and See that this is a crisis of humility of us. Yeah. And the planet isn't about being instrumental to us. The planet is just it. And we are also here. But it's not all all about us. And it's just like a very immature, you know, like um, maybe like a toddler stage or a Adolescent, you know, where we think everything is about us and everybody has to support us and so on and so forth. We don't have any duties, we just enjoy. It's not like that. And, you know, the Aloka Earth Room, which I'm working on right now, is about, you know, building a space where this is um, contemplated more intentionally and and the space itself is going to be a symbol of that intention to be of service you know as we are standing at this threshold becoming an earthworm you know just a very humble earthworm who is willing to open up to the mess not knowing where we are going but taking part anyway and Ajahn Chah, you know, quite a well-known uh, forest teacher from Thailand, he spoke about that earthworm practice, you know, the perseverance and the willingness to open up to what is and putting in a consistency of practice, a constancy. Like an earthworm. You know, very non-flamboyant little earthworm, which doing a lot of very good work, you know, aerating the soil so that food can grow and forests can grow. Without earthworms, that wouldn't really be that easy. They are very important creatures. And I think, you know, this 
threshold on which we are standing on as a species, we need enough of us who are willing to be like an earthworm, you know, to do the work, to take it in, to familiarize ourselves and to not expect any great, you know, fanfares or something like that. We just do it in service of something much bigger than ourselves. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to share today. And, you know, to unlearn this assumption of mastery, that's very important. I think, you know, that's the patriarchy has given us that assumption and it was appropriate then, you know, but now it's no longer appropriate. Just relinquishing that and uh, coming back to the ground and respecting that which we do not yet know. Respecting that there might be much more than what we think. And that we can serve that, you know. And that's also, you know, one of the qualities of the Dhamma is Opanaiko in the Pali language, which says, you know, if the Dhamma upholds those who uphold the Dhamma, you know, the intention for the practice is very crucial. It's the key, an intention of humility, an intention of service, an intention of wanting to relinquish that sense of being in charge of everything. And that everything is only here just for our disposal so that we can live comfortable. It can't be true. Because we are just part of something much bigger than that. And, uh, you know, allowing a new level of compassion and engagement, you know, engagement to emerge out of that creating of a more realistic relationship with life and using the Dhamma as a, as a toolkit, you know, because that's what it is. A toolkit which needs to be used, not just like put on the shrine. We need to use it. We need to live from that place. <laughs>